and this is the Ask Anaki podcast, where we tell two versions of the same story. Here on Ask Anaki, we understand that colonization is the breaking of relationships. It is our original instructions to hold relationships at the center of everything, whether that be relationships to our lands, waters, children, plants, animals, or to each other. In the spirit of respect for our relations, I send out a prayer for Akhamis Kapikapsin, all living things. I hope that you, our listeners, are finding space to breathe, rest, and find joy and pleasure today. May this episode bring you something needed. This episode contains conversations about nude photo shoots, cultural taboos, fat phobia, indigenous representation, skirt shaming, ceremony, sovereignty, gender roles, dating, two-spirit teachings, anthropology, sexuality, sexual language, explicit language, residential schools, stereotypes, storytelling, cultural roles, gossip, community, intimacy, indigenous identity and pretendians, auntiehood, joy, and kinship. If you are impacted by any of the following content, please be gentle with yourself and reach out to someone safe for support. You are not alone. Thank you for listening to the Az Kanaki podcast. Today's episode is featuring Tennille Campbell, who I've had the privilege of connecting with over the years through work in the academic field of Indigenous literary studies and through our mutual work in poetry. Tanil is an inspiration to me in so many ways, as a mother and auntie, as a strong voice taking on themes like cultural taboos and fat phobia, and as a visual artist as well. The story I want to start with is a story I featured in a photo essay on the blog that Tanil runs, which you can find at tnbanic.com. We are on the beach in a city that both of us once lived in. It's 5 a.m., We've only had three hours of sleep after visiting with friends late into the night, but here we are, determined to get the perfect sunrise light. Tennille makes a sleep-deprived joke that seems much funnier at the moment than I can explain it now, (laughs) about me being a pigeon that needs to learn to be an eagle like her. (laughs) Be an eagle, she keeps saying as we walk out to the water, me getting ready to strip down for her camera. It was my idea to begin with. When I found out that Tennille and I would be in the same city, invited to speak on a panel about our work as both poets and academics with our other poet, PhD, Indigiqueer pigeon fam, Joshua Whitehead, I wrote her the most anxious email I think I have ever written. Why did you write it so professional, she asked later, laughing as always. That's my terrified voice, and I laughed too. We talked about lighting, and we talked about what I should wear, and eventually here we are, her with her camera, and me getting naked in the ocean at sunrise. Back on the beach, I'm slowly taking off layers. I get into the water and turn to face Tennille. Oh my God, I say as I point to the sky. Tennille looks up just as a huge bald eagle flies over us. So close, I can nearly feel the air from its wings. See, I told you, she laughs. (laughs) Be an eagle. (laughs) I remember Leanne Simpson saying once, eagles are the Indian Ativan. In that moment, with such little sleep, with so many big belly laughs, With Tennille bossing me around and an eagle blessing us, real sacred, I am fully in the moment. I am fully myself. I take a breath and continue to find space here in my body, 
present and witnessed, just as I am. And when Tennille sends me the pictures, I am stunned into silence. I hold them close for a while before sharing them with two trusted friends. Tennille's work is medicine because she sees us. Too many people still want to photograph the Indians with their own Edward Curtis-like agenda. Dress us up with the beads and the feathers to document a vanishing race. Tennille just doesn't want to take our picture. She loves us. Beaded and feathered or with nothing on, she knows we are here, very much alive, knows that she's capturing a moment that is giving way to a future. I was terrified to ask her because I knew it would be real. I knew it would be medicine. Trust me, she said. I do, I replied. I wouldn't do this with anyone else. With you, I want to watch the smoke curl from burning sage, little red embers heating medicine, casting blessings. You make me feel like I can wear a ribbon skirt, sit outside a drum circle, not touch power during my moon. With you, I think I can sit and listen, mouth Nehiawe win as you teach me language, teach me ceremony. Ignoring the ache, Denisulene words pushing up my throat. With you, I want to lie on prairie grass, open blue skies and warm winds. Listen to your laughter echo with your ancestors, never telling you how Setsune shared stories from her grandmothers. Traveling to the south, trading pemmican, making kin, you would never believe me. You think this has always been Nehiao Aski. With you, who only sees sweat lodges and sweet grass, who doesn't see the blood and urban experience and off-reserve living, with you, who practices spirituality, but not practically, I can almost pretend, could almost sit back, step one beat behind, almost. Urban Indigenous. Urban Indigenous flirting with traditionalist means biting my tongue because asking you to check yourself equals lectures on gender roles. You don't understand. Matriarchs come from everywhere and this is all native land. Spare me your teaching when I comment about the weather. Miss me with the gifts of medicine bearing sweet shame and gentle condemnation. I can't walk with you in a good way. Just recognize the teachings I bring. Do you see the story between humble attitudes and broken hearts left on sidewalks? I don't walk in circles with the sun, know how to pray palms up, but that don't mean I don't see the ceremony that my body holds, skirt or no skirt. My feet still touch the ground, connecting me to mine, concrete or grass, latte in hand and lip gloss glittering, still indigenous. If I wore braids tightly plated in two rows, rocked a skirt, ribbons brightly flashing, would I be more worthy of your attention? I like my hair wild, laughing too loud, flirting too much to never look you in the eye. Can you admit you like watching me? The story I want to share today builds on some of the things that Tasha Spillett Sumner and I talked about in our As Kanaki episode. The lines that Tennille shares, quote, but that don't mean I don't see the ceremony that my body holds, skirt or no skirt. 
bring me immediately back to my first sunrise ceremony. I want to share this because I honor Tennille's work and her autonomy over herself as an Indigenous woman. And I honor Indigenous sovereignty over our bodies and over whether we powwow dance or don't, whether we wear a skirt or not, whether we pray in lodges or live in cities. I see you. That said, I have spent the last near decade myself learning about ceremony and becoming part of different ceremonial families, going to sweats, dances, and gatherings. It sometimes feels like all of that began with this first sunrise ceremony at Curve Lake, which I was invited to by the late Gitagam Megizeba, also known as Doug Williams Ba. In Anishinaabe Moen, we say Ba after someone's name to signify that they have passed. There are other teachings about this that I encourage my Anishinaabe listeners to seek out, however they are not mine to share today. As a first-year PhD candidate in Indigenous Studies, Dugba was our Director of Indigenous Knowledges, and he said very early on, perhaps even on our first meeting as a student cohort, that the program we were in wasn't just here to make doctors, but it's here to help make elders too. I honestly believe I took those words to heart, and while I'm still not done my PhD, I have learned so much from my Indigenous ceremonial families because of this challenge from Dugba. When I think of this story, I also think of Leanne Betasamosaki Simpson, who was very close with Dugba, both being Michisagig. I had moved to their territories to study at Trent, and when I told Leanne that I had also been born in Anishinaabe territory, she challenged me with the question, so if you were born here, what is your responsibility to us? It was both of these questions that led me to taking Dugba up on his invite to the sunrise ceremony for the Curve Lake powwow. I want to start by saying I was so unfamiliar with ceremony and was so nervous to be going that as I left my house, I ended up driving the wrong way down a one-way street. And then when I got straightened out, I realized when I got to Tim Hortons that I had left my wallet at home. I was terrified that I would be charged the powwow fee of $5, even though it was like 6 a.m. and it was ceremony. But that's how little I knew of ceremony at the time and how anxious I was at the time. In any case, I turned around, got my wallet and my coffee and that $5, which of course I didn't need, and I drove all the way to Curve Lake. This was a time when I'd been fighting my addiction to alcohol, and I remember the striking feeling of being up before the sun, not because I had been partying all night, but instead because I was going to pray. I parked and quietly got out of my car, listening for voices and seeing a fire off a ways. I followed the light and sound, and when I arrived, I realized there were two sides to the circle, men and women. At the time, this was pre-transition. I was still going by my former name, and yet I had worn jeans and a hoodie to ceremony. As I stepped onto the women's side, I recognized that everyone was wearing a dress or skirt. I was mortified. I leaned over and quietly asked if this was protocol. The woman who I was next to was somebody who I would say I assumed to be non-Indigenous. She said, well, I was told by an Indigenous person that, quote, this is how Creator knows you are a woman. End quote. I remember trying to stifle a laugh because it felt disrespectful to laugh at this teaching, even if it was secondhand, and if I'm being honest, makes absolutely no sense to me. And yet those were years filled with shame, and all I could feel was that I had been disrespectful by not wearing a skirt. I spent so much of that ceremony internally beating myself up and feeling nothing but self-hatred and not-enoughness. I felt I should have known better. What kind of Indigenous person was I? What would Dugba think? Yet, as ceremony does, I was given a generous teaching at the right moment. Forgive me, as this was many years ago, and I do not know the name of the Anishinaabe Kwe who led this part of the ceremony, 
But right as I was staring at the trees above me, feeling like I wished I could sink into the ground, there was an Anishinaabe woman who was asked to do the strawberry teachings. Now again, I will call on you to seek out the story of the two brothers and the first strawberry. However, what I can tell you now is that this is a story of pain and of the strawberry signifying forgiveness, sweetness, and nourishment in a time of deep grief. It was these teachings of the strawberry, the teachings of the offerings and the prayers, the fire and water, of thanking the sun for a new day that freed me from the shame of not wearing a skirt that day. I was overwhelmed with the beauty of our teachings and how they allowed me to let go of the shame and remember that I am just a baby in the knowledge. How humbling to not know. After that first sunrise ceremony, I was invited to the breakfast. I ate quickly and then went to find Dugba, as I had to rush out to be back at Trent for class. Miigwech for inviting me, I told him. Next time I'll remember to wear a skirt. I smiled. He reached out for my hand and said, Oh, you know what? I just thought you were liberated. You should talk to Leanne about all that. And that was how I learned about the skirt controversies throughout Indigenous country. That was how I learned about protocol police and how I learned to question some of those teachings. If Creator made me, don't they know my gender? I wondered. Now I'd wager a guess that they knew my gender before I did, just like so many of my Two-Spirit teachers did. Why I'm sharing this story is to say that shame is not our way. The shame I felt in that ceremony was never mine to hold, and this is the gift of Tenille's poetry, of her laughter, and of her vision of Indigenous love, joy, sex, and pleasure. I have felt more free and like myself when I was singing, That's Who I Am, <laughs> with Billy Ray Belcourt and Brittany Catherine while Tennille drove us around Regina than I have sometimes in ceremonial circles. Thank you, Tennille, for helping bring me that freedom, for being anti to us all, and for sharing all that you do with us. Hi, Tanil. Welcome to the Ask Anaki podcast. I'm so glad you're here and that we got to come hang out at Rainy Day Records in Saskatoon. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Sorry, that was my bad. There's the intro. There yeah, it is. Exactly. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. That's so formal. How are you? Yeah, it's <laughs> so formal. I don't know why we're doing that. Um, Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So good to see you again. Good to see you again. Aerie says hi. Oh, I know. I took, to, I'd never met Aerie and I took Aerie on the first walk. The yeah, first, her first little activist moment. Activist moment. Walk for reconciliation in Invermere, BC. Came, she came right in for the last 10 minutes where I we know. walked in home. So that was the best. Like, not even, not just, you didn't take her for her first walk. You took her for her first, like, little community feast there. Yeah. And I literally went to a whole ass different town. <laughs> yeah, just l- dropped off, dropped her off. For the record, I mean, we've known each other for a long time. <laughs> yeah, but that was Aerie and you first time meeting. Yeah. But Aerie was like, all right, Uncle Smokey, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. So it was great. Time to get our walk on. Yeah. No, that was a great time. She still talks about it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I am glad to have you here. And I think the poems that you've read, I'm really interested in just the, I'm going to get all academic here, like the dichotomy of, <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that word. But of like, 
you know, this this sort of theme of the poems that I picked of like, you know, I didn't dance powwow or urban indigenous where it's like I'm, you know, I'm as sacred wearing a skirt or not. Mm-hmm. I'm as sacred in the city. And also with you, I really like with you because I'm always like, ooh. Um, and this sort of like this this almost. And actually with Richard Van Camp, we talked about there's a line in his story, but like he's trying to be a good man. Whereas your almost is very different there. Your almost is like, I could almost do this for you, but nah. <laughs> I know, I know. There's there's a lot of play at these poems, like that almost poem. I don't know. You know, you know, I know. We all know <laughs> that women, especially women, and I don't want to be like all gendered, but whatever. But like women will make themselves smaller and make themselves less and change themselves and adjust themselves constantly to fit the roles that they're given. And when you throw culture in front of it, mm-hmm. like, I think it's just, it's just a nod to like the idea that we have the ability to change, but we might not have to change. Mm. Right? Maybe we are enough as we are. I mean, I wrote a whole book, You Are Enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's it. Yeah. Maybe. I'm like, I think it's true. I think it's true. You know, it's funny that you're talking about this because, and I obviously we're going to talk about relationships, but I have been thinking about this a lot because Tasha and I talked about this, but I don't think on the episode. When I, like, coming out as trans and queer, and I kind of went through this period of, like, pre-transition, I had all this, like, I have to be a good woman, right? Or these kind of things. And the story I'm telling on this episode is about you know, wearing a skirt or being mm-hmm. feeling that shame of not being a good Indigenous woman. And then I came out and I, you know, went through transition. Uh, you and I became better friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what, and this is what we did with the the photo essay, is that I think what really struck me was that I then became susceptible to all these weird, like, I have to be muscular and I need a wife. Like, this was a really big thing. I need a wife. Mm. I used to say, like, oh, maybe I didn't want to get married because I didn't want to be a bride. But if I'm a groom at the end, and you know, there was this sort of thing, this like really heteronormative thing going on. And now I'm like, oh, actually, like this queer relationship where I'm, you know, now engaged to another trans man who mm-hmm. I am, you know, in love with and it's good. And but it took me a long time to be like, is this okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, not be stuck in these roles, these ridiculous roles we have and also like I needed see, he's a white man I was like what am I doing with this stop dating white men <laughs> when I like a long time ago and now all of a sudden no <laughs> yeah. but I think I really had this idea that I was supposed to find an indigenous woman and be a good indigenous man and like I still don't like I still don't hunt I still don't like all these pieces right and so I think that those gender roles I don't know. There's a question. There's not really a question there, but I'll just tag you I in. I know. Um, so many things to bounce off of. Like this, even this idea of gender roles. My dad and I were watching Prey. The <laughs> I know. Yes. I know. I know. We have to. Indian country embrace Prey. Uh, <laughs> our people. But I was like kind of laughing because I don't think he got it. He's like, I really like the movie. Like it was so. Like it was really cool. But he didn't say cool. He's an elder. He's like it was really well done. Um, he's like, but I don't understand why that main character wanted to be a man. And I was like, mm. whoa, 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 elder. I was like, what do you mean? 
And he's like, well, she's trying to go out and be a man and like do man things. And I'm like, maybe she's trying to go out and be herself. Maybe she is a hunter. Maybe back in the day, it wasn't dependent upon a man and woman, but so much as your skills. Because we don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And all we have are stories, some stories, some that were written in translation, some that are told in translation, some, you know, that were made up, like uh, the medicine wheel. Huh. Ooh, where are we going there, Tania? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I yeah. Like, and we don't know. And I like to think that maybe our peoples were people that looked upon skill and ability rather than what was dangling on our chest and between our legs. Well, and I'm going to go here because I was like, while you're you're talking about (laughs) dangling between our legs, what I want to say is that, so you know how we all, every native tribe has our anthropologist. So for us, it's Claude Schaefer. He like lived with us for a long time in Tunoka territory. And uh, he wrote all these, you know, papers and all this stuff. But there is a there's a two spirit Kuni person, and they're known like there's there's a paper out there that's like that derogatory French term for two spirit people, which I won't say mm-hmm. here. But but on this Kuni two spirit person, like when we say we don't know, well, we have some of these anthropological records, and what's so interesting about this person, Hachamanupika, they're called Gone to the Spirits. They were in they like married a fur trader in David Thompson's camp, then they were kicked out of the camp for being quote too loose. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love, for Brazil, yeah. of course. But then there's record of them having, like, a leather phallus. And I was like, were they too loose or were they, like, pegging fur traders here? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. is that right? Like this. So, but I think that there's such a, when we think about these conversations, we cannot erase the fact that, like, you know, 500 years of colonization and residential yeah. schools. And when I do workshops, I talk about, like, what was one of the first things that they did in residential school. And everyone goes, well, they cut their hair and they do that, you know, all these things. And I'm like, yeah, they separated them by gender. Yeah. And that's not something that pops up in people's minds right away, but that was huge. And so I do think when you're like, what if we were enough? Like in my culture, and I'm actually very, I I talked about this in the the last episode. I'm happy and grateful that coming from Tunaka, I was basically told that nobody has the right to tell you who you are or what you do. So if you want to go to war, you can go to war. You know, if you mess up... (laughs) then you might not be allowed to go. Like, if you are putting everyone in danger, you (laughs) might not be allowed to go to war again. You're not going again, yeah. But, like, it's, yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important. So, anyways, that's that's my little piece of this history and, like, reconnecting to these understandings that I was like, yeah, it's good. (laughs) I know. No, and I get that, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that we're not being Cree-centric, which I think a lot of my poetry is about. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) The Crees. Said with love. Um, Because I think so often media and social media and visuals and movies emphasize this headdress, painted pony, prairie, Indian. Mm. Like when I think Indian, that's still kind of what I think. That and the Navajo, like... Turquoise, man. Turquoise and really big fry bread. <laughs> like, we have these <laughs> stereotypes in our head, and that's okay, like, as long as we know they're stereotypes. But the world, like, devours a Plains Indian. Right. And you're not Plains. 
No, I'm well, not planes. We do. I do. We do wear headdresses though. But <laughs> no, I'm Tanaka. We didn't do that intro thing, but you can <laughs> yeah, talk about Dene. it. Yeah, and I'm Dene. Yeah, yeah. So why is your poetry all Cree centric? No, I'm just kidding. No, it's like against the Cree centric idea, right? Right. Like that ribbon skirt. Like that's not a Dene thing. Now it might be a Dene thing for sure. Right. It's like that pan Indianism of be sacred, wear a ribbon skirt, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's, I mean, those those really interesting. And I know. I don't want to, like, shit on the people who like the skirts and feel powerful and connected. Cool. Yeah. But there's also a lot of people that don't need that. Well, and I think the thing about it is, is that freedom and autonomy to wear whatever you want to wear, to be who you want to be as you show up at this, instead of... You know, I'm like, I'm never going to be like, don't wear the ribbon skirt. Yeah, no. But you know what they will do? They will show up at the ceremony with ribbon skirts in their trunk and pass, like, be, like do this thing. And I'm like, oh, I'm okay. And I'm like, on one hand, like, maybe to some, to some, it would definitely be seen as a caring, community-based, giving gesture. Yeah. But for others, that is invasive mm-hmm. and presumptuous mm-hmm. and limiting, like, making you feel like an outsider. Mm-hmm. I know. And like in my head, I'm like, these are just colonized fabrics anyways, people. Like, where's your buckskin dress? Where's your, where's your moose oh, hide? I'm heavy. It's heavy. That stuff's heavy to wear. <laughs> I know. I, I know, just saw I, know. I just saw a, a, a picture of like a buffalo hide teepee and I was like, whoa, that would have taken be a so lot heavy. of work. Yeah. Well, like I was just at hide camp, right? Like, and oh, I'm yeah. still, oh, yeah. I'm still like emotionally and mentally like settling down from it. And I'd never been to a hide camp, even though, like, I work up, like, lived up north for all my youth. And my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, or my sister-in-law and her brother, whatever, my kin, um, they run the camp. And I was just there for three nights. And my job was as photographer, which I grasped with both hands. I wouldn't have to touch, like, anything because we're kind of bougie. (laughs) But, like, they spend, like, over 10 hours a day outside, 12 hours a day outside, Mm -hmm. like scraping, flushing, smoking, pulling, tying, and just the amount of work that went on. Mm -hmm. I was exhausted. I was just taking pictures. (laughs) Like at one point, I'm like, I'm going to go take a nap. And they like laughed at me (laughs) because I was just (laughs) taking pictures. But it was such... A humbling awareness of both how much knowledge, I'll say, we've lost, mm-hmm. but also how much we've still retained and have yep. the ability to teach others. Like, my respect for Darla, like my sister-in-law, like, I liked her before and I, like, love her, <laughs> but, like, my respect for her as a matriarch, yeah, as a leader, just through the roof, through the roof now. I think uh, I'm going to tell a funny story that when I when I moved, this is I, this is like emba- I'm telling all my embarrassing stories about when I first showed up in Peterborough and didn't know anything about being an Indian. I love it. I love it. So I showed up and they were going to teach us how to do wild racing. And I remember waking up that day and being like, I don't even want to go. Like, what are we going to pick rice hand by hand? Like I, this idea in my head, this racist idea in my head that it was going to be so hard, which for the record, it is hard, but yeah. it's hard work, but it's smart. It's mm-hmm. brilliant. We had intelligent systems. And so what I learned from doing the wild racing was that as it was hard work because there was so few of us doing it. Mm. And that's the same thing I think with hides is that we had huge communities and societies that were doing this work and with, you know, having that many hands. And so my respect for the people that are revitalizing these 
knowledges and that are working on these knowledges when there's only one or two of them that are going to stay for that whole day that are going to, you know, that are doing that. We're trying to get young people in. It's huge. I think it's huge. And I completely agree with you where I'm like, I'm, I like telling the stories. (laughs) (laughs) Can I tell the story about this? Because (laughs) I know, I know, I know. And like, that's the thing too. Like as artists, what were our roles in these very practical societies, these Mm -hmm. very community-based, reliant on each other societies? Like, I'm going to tell you a story. Like, (laughs) I always felt like we'd be the first cast out. (laughs) But this is how, like, this is our our culture though. This is our culture. And I think like art and appreciation of art and storytelling and laughter and like all that, was a huge foundation, obviously, of Indigenous mm-hmm. cultures. Mm-hmm. Like, we had roles. And I remember my auntie, like, telling me that because I went to a different, like, culture camp up north and I was photographing it. And they were putting up teepees and uh, all this stuff. And I was, like, taking pictures. And, like, that's how I process. That's how I think. That's how I, that's how I work. And I was just like making fun of myself, mocking myself, right? Like, oh, I'm just like, I'm just a photographer, no use to the camp, mm. no use to that. And she's like, this is your role. You're a storyteller. This is your job. You, you're part of community. And I'm like, thank you. Oh, right? <laughs> yeah. You are enough. <laughs> yes. And I think like as artists, we forget that. I think we do forget it. And I think that it, part of that is like that it's devalued in capitalism, obviously. Yes. But I think... I also think that we know we come from different places. Like we're talking about different yeah. cultures. We're not being Christ-centered here. So, like, for example, Longhouse culture, which I know you lived in Stalo for a little bit. You know, there's speakers. Yes. <laughs> there's conversation. I know. Well, I just know that you've written canoe, canoe <laughs> poems, right? Yes, yes, yes. Those, uh, <laughs> speaking of stereotypes, we have West Coast native <laughs> stereotypes, too. But recognizing that Longhouse culture of, like, getting up to speak for people or telling stories and I've been learning this a lot with in Tunaka we do like counting coup so when you would come back from war you would say what you had done and it was not a bragger thing like it was like you just knew what you did right and Mm -hmm. so it's that thing of when we like mock ourselves we're not supposed to because it's like we need to know the power of these words and these things that we're doing and whenever I've taught your work I've been like Tanil's the most under celebrated poet in indigenous country because I'm like why is she not being taught more because and I realized it's because your poetry is for the res kids right Mm -hmm. so the res kids would come into my class and I would hand them your book and then I'd be like here you should present on this book and then the (laughs) girls would like go and I remember they went back to the community at like Thanksgiving or whatever and then she was like I almost didn't get your book back because all my cousins (laughs) took it and were passing it around. And to me, that's revolutionary. And that's a piece that like settler Canadian society doesn't necessarily understand, right? Or see is what you are doing in Indian country. So you talked a little bit about like not feeling that outsider. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that I love about you is that you can go anywhere and you find the insider. You find the earrings. You find the person, <laughs> the auntie who's going to laugh with you. You find the stories around the kitchen table, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, I know one of my friends, uh, Heather Dixon, she did the beadwork for Nadine Azu. And we met 2017-ish in Thunder Bay at a conference. And we just clicked. We just clicked. Instant love. But um, as we traveled over the next two years together at different conferences and meeting up and just having like this boss babe relationship, it was great. She was getting annoyed at me because she's like, every city we go to, and we had been to a ton by then. She's like, every city we go to, you have a best friend. 
I thought I was the only one. (laughs) But it's just that, right? And I think that's community. It's finding safe spaces to land and people who will laugh with you and get you. And those low-key friendships where you don't have to work at maintaining it, like you and I. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not calling you every week being like, how's your feelings? Because I don't give a fuck about your weekly feelings. But, I mean, said with love. (laughs) Well, I'm not calling you every week with my sad feelings either, Janelle. But but I do know when I have the hot goss who to call. Yeah. Or when I need it. That's really, when I'm like, hey, what's going on here? That's when I call. Yeah, Yeah. like our friendship is very much based in I'll call you when I need you. Mm Mm-hmm. Or call me when you need me. Mm-hmm. And I like those low-key friendships. I like that I don't have to worry if you feel loved enough by me. Because you know I love you. And I hope you're mm-hmm. secure in that. You better be. <laughs> <laughs> you, I'm, like, threatening you. <laughs> I know. Okay, I need to tell the listeners this because I know I am secure in it because... Literally, I called you. I was trying to get this set up, this podcast episode. I'm, like, super organized about it. And at one point, like, weeks into the whole process, Tanil's like, wait, I'm getting paid for this? <laughs> so, you know, she was willing to do it for free. So I, well, you know, I know she loves I me. I was very surprised. I was like, this is nice. Thank you to the Canada Council. Thank, Thank you, Canada Council. Um, land back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean... I think that's community. Another friend had watched me listen. I did this project years ago, years ago, called Kissing Indigenous. Mm-hmm. I know, and I got I got to do an update about it. But I invited Indigenous couples. Like, one had to be Indigenous. I didn't care about their partner. I didn't care straight, gay, queer, two-spirit. I didn't care. But one person had to be Indigenous. And come in and make out in front of my camera. Like, make out in front of my camera for five minutes. Let me photograph you. And then off you go. Mm-hmm. And my premise was just being like, we don't see enough Indigenous love. We don't see enough. Same thing still today. We don't see enough. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted like this cheeky little glimpse into intimacy and passion. And mm-hmm. and it was hilarious. I think we had like seven to ten couples sign up and just come make out. And it was a weird afternoon. To <laughs> like, <laughs> Neil the voyeur. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they liked it. <laughs> and, <laughs> And this project, as people were coming in, I had an assistant with me um, to kind of like get the paper signed and all that stuff. And as they were coming in, like later, she was just like, you'd like talk to them and you'd be like, where are you from? Who are your parents? Like, you ever be here? And she's like, well, usually within like two or three minutes, she's like, you had somebody in common with them. Mm. She's like, you formed like this really instant connection. And I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah. And I kind of see, like, that's still how I do it. Like, I still, like, where are you from? Like, who do you know? Like, oh, do you know so-and-so? Oh, I love them or I hate them. (laughs) Yeah, that happens. And I don't know. I think it's just the perks of being Indigenous. Like, it's such a small community. It's. I was not going to go here, and I'm not actually going to... We're we're not going to go here. But what you're talking about is... Because I've been thinking about this a lot as I do presentations and as I talk about things. Because, of course, we have this you know, thing happening in indigenous country with the, the pretendians, right? And I don't, I'm not, and I, you and I take different stances on this. I'm like, I don't police identity. If they're claiming Tunaka, then it's my business. But if they're not, then I just leave it alone. I, you know, that's, that's a very good position. Yeah. I mean, I'm not Métis, so I don't feel like I can 
Whereas I'd be annoyed. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to speak for, there's enough Métis people speaking about this that you should listen to. In any case, what you're talking about, though, that that who are you, where are you from, mm-hmm. who are you connected to, that is how we've always introduced ourselves. Like, I remember going home, and when I finally, you know, Scott sit, sat in front of a bunch of elders, and they're all like, who's your grandma? And I was like, well, Sabina, I was raised by Sabina, Cody, Denise, mm-hmm. and they're like, okay. And I was like, but I was, you know, my I remember actually saying my grandmother was Patricia Sam and they'd all kind of look at me. And then at some point someone's like, isn't your uncle Don? I was like, yeah. And they're like, your your grandma was Patsy Lewis. Like I didn't even know her name. Yeah. Like she went by a different, like she grew up with a different name. Right. And so I got to learn that, but I'm laughing now because I go into the schools. They want me to go into the schools. Right. So I like read children's books in the schools and it's really awesome. But I'm like, Hey, Who's your mom? And then I don't I don't know their moms because their moms are young, a lot of them. I'm like, okay, hey, who's your grandma? Like I feel oh, like the old uncle. Yeah. So, but that's that. We we go back and back until we find someone in common, right? Yeah. And so that's how the elders do it when we go home. And that's how we do it out in the world as well. And so just a hint for the settler Canadian institutions trying to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Where are you from? Not hard <laughs> questions to answer for many of us. Yeah, we're never going to be on any hiring boards. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really interesting, too, because I, I do have a daughter. I have an 11-year-old, as we've talked about a little. And I've been bringing her against her little introvert will <laughs> to mm-hmm. things now, to events. Because I'm like, you're old enough that you can hear about what I talk about. And if I feel like I'm going too explicit, I will tell you to put on your headphones, (laughs) right? Because introducing your children to sensuality and ideas of, like, feminine power early is important, I think. Mm -hmm. Positive sensuality. So anyway, she's at my readings now. And when we walk around or go places and I'm recognized, she's like, thinks I'm famous. She thinks I'm Lizzo famous. (laughs) And I don't say I'm not. (laughs) But at one point, she's like, is this all for your poetry? And I was like, yeah, poetry, photography. Like, I've been working with the public a long time. And then she's like, is this like when Papa, when he goes out and everybody knows him? I'm like, yeah, your dad was in, like, Papa was in politics for, like, decades. It's like, he knows a lot of people. And then she's just like, so when I go out, people are going to recognize me because of you and Papa. And I was like, and Mama. I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, it's a lot of people to be nice to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, her little introvert stroll is just like withering. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you wanted to read the, the poem about She's 11. That one's heavy. No, I can't. Okay. Um, we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's fine to keep recording this. Um, but, like, I'm already working on book three. Okay. And that poem will probably go into book three. Okay. And book three is about matriarchy. It's about women. It's about, I don't, I don't want to say just women, but it's about, like, anti-hood. And I feel like anti-hood is genderless. And it's about motherhood and it's about relations with women and kin around you. And I kind of think of it as, because I wrote a poem about this too, where I told like Ari, like, I might not have any money left to give you, but like I have aunties, 
Like, I'll mm. give you the antis. And for me, that meant I will give you safe spaces to fall when I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And I can't even, like, say that because I'll get teary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's the most important thing I can give her is safe spaces to fill out the space I'll leave. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's what this book is, like... This is why I love this woman. This is why this woman is so amazing. This mm. is why, like, this verbal and oral literature guiding Arian to places where she can let go. And I can't talk about it because I'll cry. <laughs> like, I'll cry. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I'm so looking forward to the next book. I'm I'm always looking forward to it. I listen to everything you do. I laugh with you on the podcasts. Mm. And well, you're going to be crying with me on this one. crying with you on this one. I think, you know, it's such a gift that you... The way you honor, I, I want to say that I think it's so important when you said auntie is not necessarily gendered, but I also am like, it's okay to have a space for women. It's okay to speak. We always say like women in 2S and I'm like, yeah, okay. And also women, (laughs) like, and also matriarchy and also those roles. We have uh, Janelle, who's an emerging writer who will be on an episode that I'm very excited about. She's going to be talking about matriarchy and water teachings, I think. And so... I think about this, but I, I'm grateful. I'm always grateful for those spaces. I remember reading The Break, and I was mm. just so amazed by the way that the Indigenous women, the stories were told. I think it's going to be a TV show. Mm. But that the stories were told and connected, and I could see that connection. And I think we have to allow that space for it. And so, yeah, I will be, cry- I will be crying with this one. I know, I know. Um, I'm definitely here, obviously, for women spaces. But when I say woman, it's inclusive. Mm, exactly. And like that's my foundation. And when I say auntie, I think of one of my best friends, Josh. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can't exclude him from auntiehood mm-hmm. unless he wants to be excluded from auntiehood because his energy is that of an auntie caring and nurturing and embracing mm-hmm. his soft feminine side as well as his masculine side. And it's wonderful to see. So I know for like some people, like auntiehood is strictly woman. But for me, auntiehood is more about the feelings of care and nurturing mm. for me. But it's different for everyone. And finally, nice aunties. We aren't all nice aunties. Open arms and kind smiles. We don't all bake bannock, keep secret stores of dry meats and fresh blueberries. Some of us are called mean. Our tongues spares no one. Fools tremble before us. Some of us are called city. We live under skyscrapers, walk in ivory towers with ivory people. Some of us are too much, too loud, too real. It's hard to take our love. But an auntie is an auntie, and the mean ones tell truth you don't want to hear, and the nice ones hold you when you break, and the quiet ones keep secrets whispered in the dark, and the loud ones match your wild stories, and the elderly ones watch us all, remembering the aunties who came before. Well, all I can say is, how do I say it, Nadi Nezu? No. It sounds weird coming from you. 
Put Tanaka accent on yeah. there. Naidi Nezu. Naidi Nezu. Yeah. All right. You are good medicine. That's this. Get the book. Get the, the new book. Watch for the new book. Check out T and Bannock. Is there anything you're working on that you want to share? Mm. I don't know what to call it. All the names are in Cree. And I'm very <laughs> bad at Cree. But right now, my most current project is I've become like, okay, okay, context. I've recently started like voyaging into this weird art gallery museum world. Oh, yes. I saw this. I saw this. I'm very excited about it. And I'm the lead artist of a project based out of Regina, Saga Waywalk. I think that's how I say it. (laughs) Collective. And it's me and four other artists, including Darla Lewis, Heather Dixon, Ariel Twist, and Stacey. I want to say Fayette. Fayant. I can't say her last name yet. But all amazing Indigenous women with multiple talents. And our theme is Indigenous joy. Oh. So one of the high, one of the reasons we're at High Camp is Darla tanned a hide for us and is cutting it into five pieces. And we each get a piece to, like, work with. So every artist has, like, a two-month residency. I get to go visit them. Yes. And at the end in August, we're going to have a showing in Regina. Exciting. I know. And... It's interesting and weird to kind of like be a leader of this project. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. And to think of our work in like such fancy bourgeois spaces. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but I'm excited. I'm working uh, with mediums I haven't worked with before. I have to learn embroidery. I have to learn some moosai tufting. I have to learn some painting. I was like, fuck it up. Do it. (laughs) Yeah. So it's the biggest project, and it's a lot more tactile and physical, and it's kind of nice getting out of my head. I'm very excited for that. Mm-hmm. I am excited to witness, and I, I'm just grateful for the Indigenous joy that you bring us, all of us. I think you've changed the way we think about Indigenous literature. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad that we have the space for the joy and, and the healing. Mm-hmm. We need balance. Mm-hmm. And before that August show, Tanil's going to be shooting my wedding. So speaking of indigenous joy and kissing, that'll happen. <laughs> very, very excited. So, I'm very excited. So like, maybe we'll put some online. Yes, we will. <laughs> it's going to be epic and bougie Indian. And oh, I can't wait. So you can find more about Tanil. What's your website? I got a few of them. But you know what? Find me on Instagram at Sweet Moon Photo. At Sweet Moon Photo. My heart is happy. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for the gossip and the tea. Tachaz. The Az Panaki Podcast would like to thank our guest, Tanil Campbell, and send a thank you to Matthew Stinn at Rainy Day Recording in Saskatoon for the recording session. Thank you also to our podcast team, Sound designer, audio engineer, and editor Grayson Grit of Minotan Music, and producer Crystal Strong of Awesome Artist Management. We would like to thank the Canada Council for the Arts for their generous funding of Season 1. 